Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. I'm Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles, recording out of Awesome Inc., um, which is special because we just came from uh, the first Five Across that has been back since quarantine hit. Uh, they had to cancel a couple Five Acrosses, or one or two, I think maybe just one, um, but it felt like forever since we'd been to one. They did a really cool uh, workaround to this whole having to social distance and everything by doing it at the Legend Stadium, which is really cool. The pitches were on the pitcher's mound. It was, uh, it was awesome. Some great puns were thrown around. Great great baseball puns while the pitches were going on. I, you see what it was a pun in itself. Some puns were thrown around on the baseball field. That was, not, that a, okay? that was not a good one, but that was right. a pun. You're right. <laughs> I, about, I about got embarrassed out you there. Did. There's so, a video uh, we'll have to post on our Instagram. Yeah, we'll post. Cut right here. Go to the video. I'll put that in uh, so that our viewers can check that out. Um, but the story, Garrett told me that I was going to have to play Dizzy Bat as entertainment for the crowd, I guess. And they made me do 10 spins and then race someone, and I about went head first into the dugout. Um, everyone thought it was really funny, but it was actually it could have been pretty serious. So glad uh, glad I was able to escape that unscathed. Um, but anyway, we just recorded with um, Brandon Johnson of the Johnson Law Group, who is a technology startup lawyer. He specializes in... Uh, intellectual property and helping helping those companies get off the ground and navigate the legal um, complications of of starting a business. So this was cool because you got to talk about uh, your business, and then we also had our one of our other middle tech guys on Nico uh, Nico Ferreira. I'm terrible at pronouncing his name. You have to roll your R, and I can't roll my R's. Um, but Nico is also starting a company called Tomo um, that you and I are both kind of beta testing right now, which is I think it's going to be pretty cool. Um, it's a, how would you describe it? It's a it's like a productivity, productivity task yeah. management organizational mm-hmm. tool right. that combines a lot of different uh, sources of data into one. Because there's a problem, you know, oftentimes when you're managing mm-hmm. task and managing your schedule, you have Google Calendar, you have right. Trello, you've got Asana, you've got all these different systems where you put information to manage your day. Uh, and what they're trying to do is, you know, bring it into one place and organize it uh, in a way For that sure. makes sense. Yeah, and. Um, uh, so we're going to have him on to talk about we'll Tomo do a whole here episode soon. We'll that. do a whole, whole episode on that because it's something really interesting. His progress that he's made in a short amount of time is, uh, I think that's one of the most interesting parts of it. I've been following cl- pretty closely along as he's been promoting it on social media, and I, I joined the beta testing. And the way he's doing this beta testing is really unique. Um, we're going to save all that for for the episode when he comes on to to talk about Tomo more. Um, and then we're also going to do the same thing with Simba eventually. Yeah, yeah. We uh, you know we're taking a little bit longer. We're we're B two B. Uh, you know, we're aiming more towards an enterprise market, so we're moving uh, slower because we're building, you know, a straight up large, you know, platform. Um, Nico's building something a little bit more consumer centric, so, so he can be a little quick and num- mm-hmm. more nimble than us. But you know, we're making amazing progress, and we'll definitely be able to talk a lot more on it soon when we go public with it over the next few months. Right. Um, so it's you know been super exciting and, and amazing to work on. Yeah. Because um, our our team is just so good. Um, yeah, so those are a couple of exciting things. You know, Nico with Tomo, myself starting uh, Simba full time on that, um, and then we also with Middle Tech in general have some really great you know partnerships. Uh, we'll be announcing soon uh, that we're working on, so that'll be uh, very cool. Um, but yeah, those are those are some things that we want to update you all on. Now to get to this episode, uh, you know, Logan, you mentioned it a second ago. We sat down with Brandon, uh, and we're talking about you know law. Very, very important episode. I think people underestimate how important law is early mm-hmm, when they start sure. their company. Um, law is very scary. Um, it's, you know, as Brandon says, it shouldn't be to people, but it, it just is. So complicated. So much could go wrong, and just yeah. uh, it's just a scary thing to go through, uh, and you have to do it right. So uh, what we're trying to do with this episode is just make it a little bit less confusing, make it a little bit less uh, more approachable. Uh, you know, Brandon uh, does an amazing job of that. He's just somebody yeah. that is so approachable and has those um, – you know, Kentucky, we talk about on the end of, end of the episode, but that, that, that hospitality, you can feel mm-hmm. it yeah. uh, when Brandon talks. Um, and so this is really for the listeners, you know, those of you starting companies, wanting to start companies, uh, to make the right decisions as it relates to, uh, you know, attorneys and law, because if you mess it up early, it could literally be millions of dollars uh, of costs down the road. Right. Um, and so you got to make sure you do it right. Well, I think it's even for people, uh, if you're finding yourself joining a startup as an early employee, that was kind of one of the things that I realized as we were recording the episode is you just mentioned how approachable people like this can be. If I could have talked to to Brandon, not that anything went wrong when I um, joined Lead Real and was signing those those contracts about getting equity and everything, but I just didn't understand what I was doing. I was reading through this stuff and trying to highlight and underline things, and I didn't know what I was looking at. 
Um, so it would have been really nice to just have somebody kind of walk me through. I think I actually was texting Evan trying to figure out like, is, what does this mean? What does this uh, entail? Um, so I think a big part of this is just the approachability of legal counsel. And he, he says it specifically. Um, oh, there's my dad. I'm going to decline that. <laughs> he says it specifically. Uh, you know, all of these guys, especially in Kentucky, I think is a trend are going to be available for a free consultation. Um, so take advantage of that. If you're joining a startup as an, as a, as an early employee, or if you're thinking of starting a company, take advantage of those, of talking to those people, especially if you're in Kentucky, like he says multiple times, people here are willing to help. They want to help. Um, and I believe that they, they will be very helpful. So it's an awesome episode. Yeah. We're going to dive on in. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. We are sitting down with Brandon Johnson today. Brandon Johnson is with Johnson Law Group. Uh, I assume, Brandon, that you are the founder of that, correct? That is a safe assumption. Okay, good. All right. Uh, So glad to have you on, man. We're really excited for this conversation. Uh, We've got uh, Nico Ferreira as well. He's on our Middle Tech team. He is our biz dev guy in Louisville. So we're excited to have him on here as well. Welcome, Nico. What's up, guys? Glad to be back. Yes, he's been on a few episodes, but uh, we wanted to pull him in on this one because uh, he's going to be able to join this conversation pretty well. Uh, this conversation is going to be geared around uh, all the things that you need to consider from the law side of things uh, when it comes to starting a company. Uh, you know, attorneys are a vital part of uh, starting a company, and having a good one around uh, can make a huge difference. Uh, I know Nico is starting a company right now. I am starting a company, so I've you know gone through this process of interviewing lawyers, sitting down with them asking me questions, and it's a whole new world that I had zero insight into until uh until recently and I have so much more appreciation for it because of everything I've gone through and um just uh, realizing the importance of it, things that could go wrong and and whatnot so we're gonna dive into that stuff because as a founder again it's it's super important to get that stuff right. Uh, in the beginning, because if you don't, uh, things like taxes and uh, you know team issues could uh, could be avoided or, or could come up, and, and it's best to avoid those early. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna jump into it, um, guys. So Brandon, why don't you kind of tell us about your background, where you're from, uh, education, professional career up to this point? Just start wherever you want, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really Absolutely. appreciate the the opportunity to talk to some guys that are starting up. Uh, businesses and just add intellectual capital to guys that are starting businesses. That's why I went to law school. That's kind of how it all originated for me. I was going to buy a restaurant. I was already planning on going to law school and uh, was going to buy a restaurant. And um, that's when I was like, and it fell through, the whole deal fell through, but just the excitement of being around and associated with it, uh, with it was like, I want to do that. I want to be associated with deals and entrepreneurs and starting businesses. And, um, you know, then I decided to go to law school instead of getting my MBA just so I could add intellectual capital to straight directly to entrepreneurs and guys that are starting businesses and gals. Um, so yeah, so that's my background really from Western Kentucky from born and raised in Fordsville, Kentucky, um, you know, home of bluegrass music, um, in Ohio County there. And then went to Western Kentucky University, took a few years off between law school and uh, lived in Pilden Head for a while and lived in South Korea and taught English and then moved to Los Angeles and kicked it for a summer before I started law school in uh, Louisville in 2010. Finished up there in 13. And while I was there, I did the entrepreneurship clinic and that was my first like representative experience. I uh, was a startup in a healthcare field. So that was like my third year of law school. Started working with clients. Uh, worked with Papa John's, you know, my third year of law school, my second year summer, third year of law school, and then after school for a while, worked with them, and then went to Louisville Slugger and did some work with those guys with the uh, international uh, license distribution agreement for all their uh, goods that they were selling, and then started my own law firm. So that's my background. I've done a lot of business litigation, and now I just do primarily transactional stuff and help a lot of startups. Um, in a wide range of issues in a wide range of, of industries. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to talk more about, you know, what you guys, you know, have been going through because that's the best examples in real life. And, and, you know, I can give you a thousand examples, but if you guys have one fresh in your mind and hopping right into that makes a lot of sense to me, but I'll answer any other questions, but that's a little bit about myself. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go through it. We'll, uh, we'll definitely get there. Um, so one thing I want to do is kind of set the stage and the foundation for listeners. Cause I know like one thing for me was when I, when I, when I started this company, um, you know, I, I knew there were operating agreements. I knew there were, um, incorporation documents, uh, stock issuance document documents, but I didn't know anything about them. So when I dove in, um, it, it would have been helpful for me to have some kind of better foundation and understanding of law just in general. So for those people that just don't know anything about law, have, have never dove into it, how would you describe law to somebody that, that just has never touched it? Like, what's your definition? Do you do you ever get that question to where you've kind of gotten a good, easy answer to that question? No, I'm an attorney. They don't pay me for easy answers. <laughs> um, law is a sophisticated system of statutes and regulations that control almost every aspect of our day-to-day life. And in order to navigate in those sophisticated industry, industries and those regulations that are written, you know, take, for example, the Triple P program alone. I mean, that, that's like, that was 300 or $400 billion and the total package was $2.1 trillion. I mean, that's just a lot of rules and regulations and things that they have to put in associate with that. And it gets complicated and confusing and uh, people have wasted months of their life trying to interpret it just for them to change the rules. So that's a little bit about the law and then, you know, how it can work for companies or how it can work against companies. Uh, it can work for companies if you are building assets and, and building contracts and building enterprise value, or it can work against you if you don't, uh, you know, you're not prepared and you don't have those things in mind as you're growing your business and, and you're doing things that are maybe they're illegal and you didn't know it, or maybe you're in an industry that has regulations. Um, but it, it's complicated the answer to that and i try to simplify it as much as i can to let you know you have a lot of hats as an entrepreneur and a lawyer is literally not one that you're allowed to wear i mean you can try and and i take my hats off to those guys that need to do that but um i think with the access to the internet and attorneys and you know i'm in denver colorado right now but you guys can talk to me right here right now mm-hmm. uh, i think that there's no reason not to try to get advice, whether it's for free or whether to bend an attorney a year for a free consult. There's many of us that are willing to do that. And we like to do it. You know, it's one of our passions is to help businesses um, for guys that are really passionate about it. Like, like I, I, I am. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy to talk to people about these, these types of things. Well, I feel like one of the reasons law is so complicated is because it's so nuanced. And there's so many different scenarios and, and different things that can apply to a business. One of the things that comes to my mind that businesses really need to take advantage of is tax law because there's so much money that can be saved if you do your taxes the right way. Um, I remember, Evan, you and I went to a, a talk at Gatton, um, Steve Forbes, and he was talking about the U.S. tax law. What did he say? It had like a million pages or a million words, some some rid- ridiculous stati- statistic. Um, but that's that's kind of what I see the value of someone being able to interpret that and, and kind of steering people down the right direction. Um, so I feel like that it's not necessarily complicated on purpose, but there's just so many nuances that you kind of have to have somebody who knows how to navigate that in the right way. Um, so now, yeah, now let's kind of dive into the different types of law. I just mentioned tax law. Um, I think you, you kind of branded yourself when we were talking as a, a technology startup lawyer, which is about the coolest title a lawyer could have, I think. Um, so kind of, kind of walk us through the different types of law. Just real quick on your points about taxation, you know, tax law. I, I wear a lot of different hats. I'm not a tax attorney. I'm not an employment attorney. I'm mm-hmm. not any one of these different things where I'm all day long fighting with the IRS or all day long writing patents or all day long litigating employment lawsuits. You know, I do a little bit of everything for a lot of different clients, and then I do a lot of deal work. And so the deal work I do typically is, you know, buying, selling, starting. And in that transaction, 40% of the transaction is tax related. So you really need good either tax counsel or tax accountants to really help you on that. And I work with a lot of tax accountants that generally disclaim tax advice and we get an accountant involved to make sure it's buttoned up. Um, But the different areas of law that touch a business are, I mean, it's just so broad. 
right. and I try, I've tried to put this, I'm writing a book and, and currently in the brainstorming process of what do we need to put in a book about startups? Like what areas of all? And there are just so many, but intellectual property is really important um, and how you protect that. Employment and starting and bringing people into the business is really important. And, and then your partnership agreements and, and how you're going to operate the business, extraordinarily important, especially if it's more than one person. There's, then there's corporate law and just making sure that you have your proper documentation. Like there's a limited liability company, which entails an operating agreement, generally speaking. And the beautiful thing about limited liability companies is the flexibility you have. They're creatures of contract. States have created them. And you can do all kinds of uh, take advantage of certain things in the tax code to give distributions to different partners at different levels and minimize taxes. I already sound boring. Holy cow. I can't believe how boring I already sound. <laughs> but, you know. That's how structuring those deals is really important. Um, those are the major areas. I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Um, I would think that sales funnels is a really good area of law in there, making sure you're collecting the right information, that you have permission to email and, mm. or phone call those folks and, and take them all the way through the sales process, making sure they're agreeing to terms and conditions on the website. Those are some of the more important things that can really limit significantly your liability. Um, and they may not show up on your bottom line initially, but you know, over the course of the time, you can build enterprise value by, by locking those things in. Yeah, just on that point specifically, uh, the startup I currently work for, which is automating lead generation, TCPA compliance and making sure that you have the permission to reach out to people is huge, especially in our industry. Uh, so I can only imagine how valuable legal advice on that end would be because if you get it wrong, man, you are, <laughs> you're in some deep trouble. If you have TCPA compliance, you can sell your leads to big companies that can pay big money. If you do yeah. not have TCPA compliant leads, you'll sell them to somebody somewhere. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. So talk a little bit about the value um, that a lawyer or an attorney like yourself brings to a startup when you guys first start working together. I, I mean, I'm a huge nerd. I mean, that's the first thing I fit in at law school. I was like, man, I fit in for the first time. So, you know, I love business and I study business and I study law and I love everything that, can, you know, interacts with that. And I like creating jobs and creating companies and, and, you know, helping entrepreneurs out is what I love to do. So I just try to create value by a having a broad based business knowledge that I can bring my broad, broad base of business knowledge in multiple different areas to your business and try to apply it under the facts as you lay them out for me. And usually I can help most clients walk through it and make, make good decisions and limit risk and make good decisions. Um, that's the value that I try to bring is that proactive um, approach to getting in front of things and building enterprise value in a, in a manner that makes sense. So that, that's, you know, that's the value you provide. Uh, one of the questions that I struggled with when I had been started in my company, Nico, I want you to chime in after I, after I say this as well. Was I, I was struggling with how early, how soon from starting this company should I bring in an attorney? Like, do I am I is it worth uh, the risk or is it worth my time to do some of these operating agreements, do some of these incorporation documents um, that I am finding templates for, or I am using something like a Stripe Atlas for online, um, or should I just immediately from the moment I start this company because it's it's such a serious project and I'm taking this thing super seriously, should I just bite the bullet and do it from the second we start the company? Um, I don't know how you approach that, Nico, but I know what we did was we we essentially immediately, um, we, we basically did our operating agreements uh, ourselves. Um, we did our incorporation agreement or uh, incorporation documents ourselves with, with templates that were provided to us and ran them by some, some friends that we know were lawyers. Um, and they basically said, okay, this, this looks pretty boilerplate stuff. So we, we basically did that. And then when it came to issuing our shares, uh, which is what we're, the process we're going through now, that's when it really hit me like, oh, man, like we've really got to get somebody involved. But that was kind of my process, Nico. I don't know what yours was. And then, Brandon, I want to hear you know, your answer um, from your perspective on when you think somebody should be engaging you know, an attorney for when they start their business. Previous, uh, previous times that we've incorporated in that sort of thing, or I've incorporated at least, uh, we just – you know, we're using the Secretary of State uh, website for like Delaware, Kentucky, right? Um, but I'd say this is kind of the first time we've used a third-party uh, incorporation uh, service. So uh, we actually did end up using Stripe Atlas. Um, and yeah, like you, we definitely ran into the uh, share issuing uh, roadblock. So that is definitely um, 
definitely an interesting thing to look at from the eyes of a founder. You know, you're told you're not, you know, to, to guard those, guard those shares with your life. And especially, you know, when you're, uh, if you've incorporated as an LLC versus, um, you know, Delaware C Corp or something like that, you're going to have different types of stock, you know, common versus preferred and whatnot. So that's definitely, uh, it's definitely a tough thing to wrap your head around, I guess, as a founder. Um, and definitely something, um, you know, for us at least, you know, we're glad that we had, um, some legal advice going in, but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of founders don't, don't get that. Yeah. Brandon, what's your, your thoughts there? So everything is dichotomous. I think of Jocko and dichotomy of leadership and it's, you have both sides, right? It's like, do I be really careful or do I take risk and really focus on my product and I don't care about the legal stuff? So you're pulled both ways all the time. Um, and it's just natural. And that's just the kind of being an entrepreneur. That's one of the most, your time is always being pulled in, in different directions. So, you know, for Nico, if he can start it, if you can start your own company through the Secretary of State, that's a great first step. You know, then you have mm-hmm. to do your tax ID, EIN. Most everybody can do that. Then you go ahead and grab your revenue department filings. No, no problem. Or an accountant can help you with that. You know, but if you have three or four partners, it gets a little bit more um, interesting. You know, do you need to have an operating agreement at this point? Like, what's going to happen if this thing goes down? Um, if you have money then involved, you know, maybe you bring in an attorney a little bit earlier so they can just get, you know, I'm representing the company most times and I'm just trying to get the deal down between everybody. I'm trying to keep it very simple, but clear. And that's how I write. I don't write in old lawyer English or any of where, I mean, I use some where-ins every once in a while and here-ins mm-hmm. every once in a while, but primarily I write clear, plain English contracts. That's what I'm I'm there to do. So if you can use LegalZoom um, to start your company, I've not seen too many issues other than the share issuance issue. Like, I don't know how to do this, right? We never did it. Or we started a Delaware C Corp, but we don't have shares issued. And issuing really early as well to people that don't pull their weight or they, you know, there's no kind of buyback agreement or whatever. So you keep it simple. You go three ways, but then one guy doesn't work anymore. Two guys drop off. And then you one guy holding a third of the shares. And that's been an issue I've dealt with. And then the other two guys want to have the rewards but not do the work. Um, mm-hmm. So when you bring in, it's it's dependent upon money and it's dependent upon what your product is and in the complexity of your situation. And I'd say if you're starting something simple, you can do it yourself, bootstrap up, spend your money on marketing, spend your money somewhere else. Um, but if you're you know, a couple of people going into a partnership, it could be a good idea to sit down with an attorney for even a free consult just to get a get a clear idea of what's going on. And then maybe you pay for an operating agreement or something to get your deal in writing. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, so you had mentioned that, you know, the documents there, you, know, you get your operating agreement, you get your um, EIN, uh, you incorporate um, tax, get some tax stuff there on your issuance of shares documents. Um and I wanted to walk through, so incorporation types. I wanted to touch on this for a second because one thing, you know, as a founder, you wonder, do I do an LLC? Do I do a Delaware C-Corp? You know, I want to walk through the different types and, and the value of each and the reasons you might choose the different ones. Uh, can you can you touch on that? Uh, and then briefly, I'll say that uh, Simba, the company I'm starting, uh, is a uh, Delaware C-Corp. Uh, Nico, which, what do you got? Yeah, same thing. Okay. Seem to become that seems to be the standard of, of software, but Brandon, what are your thoughts? It is, and that's if you're trying to raise money or you think you're going to take in money. I mean, that's a very mm-hmm. common thing because when you're dealing with funds, most funds come or most money comes from the coast, and they're used to dealing with Delaware C corps, not Kentucky LLCs. So if you're going to get mm-hmm. money, you can go ahead and do Delaware C. You save yourself a step later on in the game. But I want to step back for just a second because you overviewed it. And I want to go ahead and hit home. Like, why do you incorporate? Why do you even need a business? Mm-hmm. And you may or may not know, but it's liability protection, right? You don't want to personally lose your house because something you do in the business messes up and you have creditors that come in and attach your personal assets. So that assumes a few things. It assumes that you're going to operate it as a business and not just as an alter ego is what they call alter ego test of yourself. So then you need to, you know, get your tax filing, set up a bank account, and most likely get insurance. And with those things, you know, and an operating agreement also helps to show you're legitimately operating as a company. You have a plan and a strategy of what you're going to do and how this thing works. So that all goes into liability protection for yourself personally. Um, so then you go into entity selection. 
So say I'm a plumber and I'm working in Kentucky and I'm going to maybe hire a couple of guys, probably Kentucky LLC. There's not a lot of tax issues there. You're, you're there. You are going to be where you're going to be. You, you know, you're have a, a regime of journeymen and master and all those issues are all within Kentucky. So just a Kentucky LLC. You're going to try to start a um, software company and, and raise money and raise rounds. <clears throat> Delaware C Corp saves you this step. But it limits your flexibility some and what you're going to be able to do. Um, uh, but there's also a lot of benefits because if you're trying to get money from funds, they don't want flexibility necessarily. They just want to give money and know what's going to have a reasonable expectation of their return or what the law is going to look like for the state that they're investing in. Yeah, cool. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, we had we have kind of danced around it. We've touched on it. Uh, and the most confusing part of this whole process for me was the issuance of, of stock. Um, when I tried to read that document, uh, I got probably through two paragraphs and I said, okay, this is, I, I can't, like, I, this is not English. Uh, I know how important this is uh, and I want somebody else to do it. Um, that was my experience. Uh, Nico, you said you're going through that right now. Um, it seems like you had a similar experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, what, what uh, Stripe Atlas really helped with in the end was this, you know, getting, getting everybody on the initial cap table. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, before, uh, when, you know, when we were working on a previous startup, um, this was definitely one of the trickiest, trickiest things for us. This was before, before Stripe Atlas was around. Yeah. So Brandon touch on that, that document, uh, and just things that as a founder, you need to consider going into that, like 83B election and, and things like that. Oh, where to begin? Um, I, think that generally speaking when you start a start a company um there is limited value unless you're somehow starting and you're immediately starting to sell products so it's generally speaking a good idea to go ahead and issue stock and file an 83b on that issued stock because you can say the value with a straight face is next to nothing as soon as you start getting investment dollars in from the from the inception of the company you start running into issues of valuation and things like that so as far as what stock issuance go is it's such a case-by-case -case basis if three or four guys are starting a company and they want to issue stock to people but they want to be able to pull that stock back if they don't carry their weight or we want to start out with a certain amount of stock each and then we're going to invest additional people out addition or invest people out additional stocks as they complete more milestones or what have you it's having an understanding of expectations between the partners is always extraordinarily important and it's usually a good opportunity when you issue shares to do that now, to the document specifically, there's no reason that the stock issuance should be very complicated. Um, but it can get complicated if you're trying to pull some back or if you're trying to have restrictions or you're issuing restricted stock awards that maybe it's a chief technical officer that you're bringing on or something along those lines. Yeah, so from from my experience with this, um, you know, I just recently came on a startup and I'm, like you were mentioning, vesting uh, my shares as I continue working and kind of providing value to that company. Um, and I remember when I first came on, I like printed out the documents and tried going through and like highlighting and underlining stuff, but I had no idea what I was really looking for or like what kind of things would be possible pitfalls for me. I don't know if I'd be able to, to pick them up. Um, maybe, maybe there's not a super common one, but if there is, is there anything that, uh, is a common mistake that people would make when, when checking out those, when, when issuing equity or, or shares like that, is there a common mistake that to look for? So Evan said about the 83B election, right? Say I get restricted stock and it's worth $0 or the company's worth very little. It's going to have a nominal tax effect. Because mm -hmm. if you file an 83B election, you're saying to the IRS, look, I realize I'm paying tax on this right now. And we're valuing maybe it's $300 right now for your 30 shares. And it's very nominal. But you're going to say, I'm realizing that I'm going to pay tax on it now, even though I know I could lose it later. And, and I'm okay with that. Substantial risk of forfeiture. So if you do it when there's no value, but if you're a quick growing startup and you have a million dollars in sales, there's very little chance, especially if you're bringing on investors, that you can convince the IRS that your shares are not worth very much. Now, there's different ways to do it to decrease the value of the shares, to have preferred shares versus common shares, to have different, you can you know try to decouple the value of those, of those stocks and who has certain rights to certain um, assets at liquidation. There's certain things you can do, 
but it's a case by case basis. And it's so nuanced that a limited liability company is definitely has a lot more nuanced areas where you can play with than say C corporation. Yeah. We've been, we've been saying this word, this, this phrase 83 B election. I just want to you know make sure the audience understands what's going on there. Essentially for my interpretation is, uh, you know, when you sell a company, you pay taxes on the capital gains. Um, and when you do 83B election, you're basically saying uh, that your shares are worth zero if you do it early enough. And so the capital gains just aren't there when you sell it. Is, is that how uh, that's at least my interpretation It's probably not probably not fully correct. But Brandon, just give our audience a little more insight on what 83B election is. Oh, man, this is where I try to stay away from this tax advice. I don't mind to spitball it, but I'll do the best. I'll do the best I can. Yeah. Like the overall when you if you are going to work for a company and you're going to work for a reputable company or uh, let's say a, not a reputable, but a big company and they issue you um, uh, some restricted stock units or something along those lines. If you go ahead and say, look, I think that this is going to be worth more later. And whenever I get that stock vested to me, that is a, that is a taxable event. I have a thing of value given to me for my work. And I want to limit the tax on that as much as possible. So when you file an 83B election, you're telling you're going to have paying tax for stock that you don't have right now. You're going to get later. Um, or if you're starting a company, you're going to go ahead and say, I'm claiming it's worth zero now. So if it's worth zero, you're paying just short or long-term capital gains on it if you sell it for any time after a year, essentially, and you avoid. Uh, but you do have to pay taxes on that whenever there is a gain. Um, and I'm sure some accountants that listen to this are going to cringe about my, about my statement, but I, I'll try to get you guys some additional information to clarify that. But in different situations, it's different. And from a company to a corporation, it's different in the tax treatment of it. You, you just touched on something that I also ran into. I, I interviewed a few lawyers uh, when I was going through this and got their advice, just an initial consultation and just kind of sat down on the phone with them and, and talked to them. Uh, and you just kind of you just kind of just brushed on this. But you said that uh, that's an accountant, more of an accountant's uh, role there on some of this tax stuff. Um, and, and I actually had a lawyer say to me, you know, you'd probably actually just, uh, an accountant is more valuable to you at this, at this stage, uh, at least for this, this part of, um, of what we're working on here. Uh, distinguish the, the best you can real quickly, the difference between uh, an attorney and, a, and, a, and a, an accountant and their roles real quick in this process. So I always, well, most of the time when I have a new client consult, I say an accountant is probably your most important person that you're going to deal with, making sure your QuickBooks is set up and your accountant is set up. So when you're dealing with an 83B election, you're making the decision to take as income now something that you're going to get later. And if it's worth zero, that's great, right? You're saying this is worth zero dollars. You're telling the IRS in stone by following this 83B election, this is worth zero dollars and I'm getting it. That's a great way to start, right? That's That means you have zero you have a zero basis, so you got to pay capital gains. So that's where you're starting. And, and uh, you know, an accountant will help you look at, like, look, is this a startup? How much risk is involved? How much is this company going to say that they're worth? Are they a $3 million company? And you're, are you going to go ahead and if you're getting 3% of the company, of a $3 million company, you have a $90,000 taxable event in that year that's going to render you, you know, 40% taxes or so. So you have to think through that and make sure that that is in your plan for that year. And that the companies, you're very confident that you're going to not forfeit that. You're going to get that. And it's going to increase in value. And a lot of those determinations are made on a very personal level about, are you willing to pay the taxes? Is the company going to pay the taxes for you? When you're in that decision point of you have an ongoing business of ongoing concern that has a value to the business. And that's completely different than setting a startup. You know, most of the time, if you have, you know, stock issued as a startup, um, that's something you'd be very interested in. Or if you have a profit rights, there's a safe harbor provision if you're issued profit rights out of an, a limited liability company. But all this stuff is hyper-technical, and I hope no one's just going to take this information and, and run with it. But give me a call. You know, I'll give a free consult about what specifically you need to do. But the situation varies so much <clears throat> from company to company. Like in your instance, I'd probably say, yeah, file the 83B, let the, let the IRS know that you got this stock and it's worth $0. That way, there's no question when you cash out seven years from now, what the value was of that business, you know, mm-hmm. and because th- that's when they come into play a lot of times for you to prove that you have that, you know, that basis or that, you know, from zero to 20 million, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting capital gains and all of that. 
Right. So, I, I mean, I know what your answer is going to be to this, but would any type of lawyer, like if somebody's parent was a lawyer or if somebody's good buddy was a, was somebody in law school, um, well, not law school, but was an actual lawyer, would they be able to give the same kind of advice as somebody like yourself who's well-versed in, in this kind of stuff? Or is, is does it get more and more technical the further you go along this process? Like what kind of lawyer should somebody be looking for right. interviewing? Because there's all kinds, right? So it's like, are there specific experience that you should look for at the lawyer? Are there specific um, titles? Uh, what should somebody look for when they're when they're talking to lawyers or attorneys? Trust is such a high and uh, important thing. So when you talk to somebody, somebody that you can trust and you feel has integrity, is probably the most important. Mm-hmm. And then I would just say, people that are doing business now, business lawyers, that's what they do mostly. You know, a lot of times, mostly family lawyers will do mostly family law, mm-hmm. and um, and that's how it's becoming now. It's more and more specialized. So if you're on the cheap, having an attorney look at it or spitballing something by an attorney is a great idea. But the level of their advice or how much they're going to be able to talk and get to the root cause, it's like a it's like a doctor. You go to a cancer doctor for a root canal, it's just he's not going to have the right diagnostic intake to know what you actually need. And that's what I'm able to do. Generally speaking, is break down what someone needs and and deliver that. Um, and generally speaking. I don't overcomplicate things. I try to keep it relatively simple, especially in the beginning stages, because complexity is sometimes necessary, but um, simplicity is always better in the beginning, especially. Yeah, for sure. Give uh, give the listeners an idea on you know what's a lawyer worth to a startup. Uh, what are the costs that somebody that's starting a company should uh, expect? Uh, rates, average rates, maybe is there room for negotiation? Just talk about what, what it looks like to arrive at a cost of, of an attorney early on. A lot of attorneys these days are doing flat rate stuff. So if you walk in and you know, um, look, I got a thousand dollars for a startup or for an operating agreement or for an LLC, a lot of attorneys would would do it for a thousand to 2,500 bucks or something like that. If it's simple, um, that's a general fee structure. And, you know, usually between two and $400, depending on what, you know, the level of the attorney. Um, and I think everything is negotiable. You know, if you're, you know, uh, or attorneys are willing to talk about flat rate fees or uh, not to exceed fees. Like, look, I'm not going to go over $5,000 for this, for this deal or for this fundraise. There's a lot of alternative payment methods and you can always have that conversation. But there's a lot of providers right now. If you need a, a company set up cheap and easy that you can go out and get that done for a flat rate fee uh, and pretty well done, uh, even on the Internet. But when you start hiring employees and pulling those things off or trying to do your own contract, that's where it can get it gets dicey in that incorporation stage as well. But if you're hiring employees and you're doing non-competition agreements and they don't have teeth and you can just lose. I've seen really bad agreements. And people, you know employees leave and they compete against the company and their agreements were off rocket lawyer and they didn't have any teeth to shut them down. And, you know, the non-compete was gutless and that's where you were. And, you know, um, that's not an ideal position to be in. So I think, you know, once you start hiring people or bringing in partners, that's when it's good to talk to an attorney, probably an experienced business attorney at that. Um, Most people are, are happy to talk to you. Uh, about your problem, generally speaking. And then, you know, all that stuff up front is negotiable for sure. Yeah. Um, is uh, are, are attorneys ever looking for skin in the game? Are they ever looking for, uh, is that part of the negotiation? Is that something that, that is frequent uh, where they want maybe some, some equity themselves? Yeah, it is. Um, some attorneys do that. Um, I've done that. Um, I do that less frequently now. Um, I found that as I go on, I'd rather help help a business in uh, as I can, as I do most other clients. Now, if there's one or two that I really like, maybe I'll I'll do that or work out a situation. Um, and there are attorneys, some attorneys that do that. It's more frowned upon now than it used to be. Um, and I feel like attorneys are doing that less frequently now than than say you know 20 or 30 years ago. But you, you know, one of my Jack Richardson was my mentor for. For four years, he's an attorney there in like uh, in Louisville and does a lot of business litigation. And later on, was successful in operating businesses and owning businesses and being the attorney for businesses. And he worked into some Texas Roadhouse deals, and um, you know he proved his value a lot there and did all the stuff to raise the money. And he found himself in ownership. So uh, and he's done quite well for himself. And um, you know 
I think if if it makes sense, attorneys are willing. We're business folks like anybody else. We're trying to make business decisions. Mm-hmm. For sure. So let's kind of take this conversation and transition it more and uh, into the learnings you've had in your career, because, you know, you're still you're still a young guy, but you've already had a bunch of experience working for uh, multiple different corporations. And uh, you've even actually worked with some of the with a past guest of ours, uh, WeatherCheck, which is pretty cool. So talk about some of the learnings that you've had um, so far in your career that maybe our audience could take and apply themselves. The basis of wisdom is humility is knowing what you don't know. You go to Socrates and he knew he, he was, he found himself to be the wisest person because he acknowledged that he was ignorant about so much mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, as an attorney, you know, there's only so much that I know about and I try to stay within my lanes the best that I can. And if I need an accountant's help, I'm not afraid to ask. If I need a, a, an employment lawyer that just does that all the time, I'm not afraid to ask. And I think that's been a lesson in humility <clears throat> that I've tried to, try to take and try to go and learn from, from people that know better than I do. Um, and I think that's really helpful as an entrepreneur because you're so pulled in so many different directions um, that having someone to look up to and, and, and to go to for subject matter expertise is really important. Um, so don't be afraid to ask and, you know, know what you don't know uh, and just keep grinding. I mean, that's the other thing. This startup game is a grind. Um mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how hard it is to create a successful company and then maintain a successful company for a long period of time. Right. Uh, it really does require an awful lot of effort, uh, consistently applied through ups and downs. So just mm-hmm. tenacity, you know, no matter if your company goes out of business or you have had a couple of startups that didn't work out, you know, just keep after it and enjoy the day, you know, enjoy your, your day to day, um, the best you can. Um, just yeah. a few things, just generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, I think, th- I think your advice about having humility and, and being willing to admit when you don't know something that can be tough for entrepreneurs to do, especially because you're wearing so many different hats when you're starting a company just, you know, everyone involved, your earliest employees are just wearing so many different hats. And I think that entrepreneurs would tend to gravitate towards, uh, just think maybe like thinking that they know, or assuming that they know, or taking their best guess and just kind of rolling with it. Um, when I think it could be super valuable, whether you're in the legal field or whether you're just starting a company to admit, hey, I don't really know the answer to this and then seek out either legal counsel like your company or go and talk to mentors or go and talk to other people who've done it successfully. So I think that's really poignant advice. Yeah. For, Too for big of an ego will get you in a lot of trouble as for an sure. entrepreneur. Uh, for sure. Definitely have, have seen that and, uh, you know, it's it's definitely dangerous. And, you know, I think you hit it spot on. You know, if you don't know something, if uh, – if you feel like you're not strong somewhere, you got to have mentors, you got to seek advice. Um, you know, mentors are so important, especially for young founders or first time founders. You know, if you're not bouncing ideas off of people, if you're not saying, Hey, uh, is this what you would do? What mistakes have you made? You know, if you're not asking those questions early in your entrepreneurship career, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes just because, um, you know, you of lack of knowledge. And if you can get that knowledge, from other people that have been through those experiences or have made those mistakes and you can avoid those mistakes because they, they told you those things. Um, that's the best path. You should never just think I'm going to, I know everything. Yeah. You know, it's, that's, it's you can save a lot of pain, yeah. you know, having mentors. Or even mm-hmm. thinking that you can know everything, yeah, even the totally. thought of like, Hey, look, I'm going to spend eight hours a day uh, looking up stuff about an operating agreement and make my own operating agreement. Okay. That might be the best use of your time. It's probably not the best use of your time. And to think that you're going to have anything that, you know, better than something colored in crown is, you know, it's lacking humility, um, you know, to, to a certain degree. And, you know, we all struggle with that, right? We're all, we're all on our own journeys of, of that. And the, the last point is patience. You know, a lot of, and I recommend aggressive patience, not just sitting and filling your thumbs, but, but you're not, you're not an entrepreneur if you're not patient and know that you gotta, it's the long game you're playing. Yeah. Well, I think that's the key there is no, is understanding that you're operating on a long game and you can't always expect to see, you know, great results overnight. You gotta have the long term. Yeah. We've had, we've had this discussion before, you know, the long term perspective. Jeff Bezos is somebody that I, I study and talks about this often. You know, if you have a long term perspective, the mistakes and the bumps, you know, in the, in the moment don't feel as big, mm-hmm. you know, whereas if you think, uh, right when you start your company and you set the goal of, I want to sell this thing in, you know, four or five years and all of a sudden you hit a bump, you're going to freak out and just really that'll stress you out way more, uh, than if you're saying, I'm going to grow this thing. I don't care when it sells. I just want to build a lot right. of value over 20, 
20 years, you know, that bump, you're going to look at that bump from a different perspective and maybe talk to more mentors or maybe um, take a longer time to make that decision, at least as long as you possibly can, because oftentimes you have to make quick gut decisions when you're an entrepreneur. But at the same time, you're going to look at those bumps from a different perspective than somebody that that is not uh, practicing patience. Dude, and chase, chasing money as well. I mean, you yeah, know, me chasing a mm-hmm. chasing a buck is 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 okay. I mean, it's there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But if you can lose sight of what you want to be doing and what you're passionate about, and I know that the people throw that around, but but if you really like what you're doing every day, it just makes life a lot better. And whether mm-hmm. you know you can build a really good business, and it doesn't have to be a $70 million business. You can build a really good $500,000 a year business or, or $700,000 a year business. And it takes time, but those are, um, you know, reasonable things to do. Having HVAC guys that, that start and expand and, and, you know, creep up their, their technicians every year. And before you know it, they can be at a million bucks. You know, I've seen, I've seen a lot of companies do that um, just by doing the right things and employing the right business practices and working on their business, not just in their business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when, you know, one of the things when I, when I started Simba is we really had a big focus on values and culture from the beginning to kind of set a good foundation for the team. Um, and one of the things I did was, and this is, again, a Jeff Bezos thing. You know, I, I like to study these entrepreneurs and Jeff Bezos. And Amazon's notorious for being the most customer-centric company in the world. Um, and what you said is don't chase, don't chase dollars. And that, that's true. You know, every entrepreneur wants to make money. Um, and, and you shouldn't chase necessarily the dollars. What you should chase is providing value and taking care of your customers and the values of your business. And then once you get that foundation and you have those focuses, then the money comes. You know, that, that's the things you should focus on first, not necessarily wanting to sell your business or not necessarily wanting to, you know, get that, that next um, gigantic client while you're, uh, you know, not taking the best care of your current clients. Um, you know, it's always take care of, uh, your customers and have a focus on them, make sure you're solving their pain points first and having great values as a company. And then the money follows is kind of, you know, what I've, what I've kind of, you know, absorbed from the people I study and through my own experience, you know, through my own experience with, with different companies I've been a part of. Going into the wrapping up this interview, kind of the spot we always end on is talking about Kentucky and uh, Louisville and Lexington in general. I know when we got to talk on the phone, you talked about your love for Kentucky and wanting to get back here one day. Um, so, First, before we kind of get into where you see this area going, uh, just talk a little bit about what it is about Kentucky, why, why you're drawn to it. Water, uh, blood, my guilt for my mother. I mean, there's, there's a, a, hundred, a hundred different reasons. The friends, yeah. the family, the, the people, um, the horse racing, the, the falls, the summers, the springs, the winters, um, you know, a little bit of everything. Uh, UK football based. I mean, I mean just where I'm from, where my blood is. Um, yeah. I'm from Western Kentucky, nowhere, you know, 200 people, the city of 200 people. And I went to a, a county high school and I just loved everything about um, how I was raised with values, you know, small town values and, and how I think Kentuckians have a great big heart. I really do. I think we're getting torn apart a little bit, but I think overall um, we're going to be just fine because we're a good hearted people. Um, we have some things we need to work on. And the things we need to improve. No, for sure. That's the same way I feel about it. And I, if somebody asked me, what do you love about Kentucky? I would try to name those same things you named, but it really is when you're raised here and you experience the values and the way people treat you around here, it's just, it inherently becomes home and it's just somewhere you always want to end up back eventually. Um, at least that's it's my experience. A, it's a, the Southern, like it's a cliche that it's, yeah. it's a cliche outside of Kentucky and outside of the South, but like that Southern middle America hospitality is just, so apparent, especially when, you know, living in Los Angeles or traveling to New York a lot or these big cities, like it's just so apparent. Like there's obviously great people in large cities, Denver, sure. Uh, New York, great people in all these cities, but you know, just the, the, the density of this, of the hospitality around here is just so apparent. You can feel it when you walk down the street. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, talk a little bit about, um, cause you mentioned there's things we could improve on and there's, uh, there's things we're doing well already. Let's start with with what we could improve on here in Kentucky. Maybe if you want to even niche it down a little bit further into the the legal side of things, um, kind of take that where you want. But what could we be doing better here in Kentucky? Well, what Evan said about his startup, talking about values and vision, people throw those around all the time. And, and I did the same thing. And then I went through the process of establishing my vision is to add in social capital to, to businesses and to help businesses grow in Kentucky. And I'm also licensed in Indiana, Colorado. My core values are 
integrity first and foremost. That's a Kentuckian value, right? You're going to work with integrity, clean businesses, good business, uh, excellence, pursuit of excellence, pursuing of trying to really do something great, entrepreneurism and wisdom because I have a broad experience. So identifying those and going into the how do we build better businesses? We set we set entrepreneurs up right to to, to be around people that they like that they have things with they have the similar you set up and you show people how to start businesses. I think is is how and maybe that's what I need to be doing. Uh, you know, there's I don't know if you guys have heard traction by Gino Wickman EOS. Uh, there's objective and key results, but there's just proven ways to run a business and to try to make sure you're working on the business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs like to call themselves entrepreneurs, but they don't really know how to operate a business. They may or may not have have um, something going for them. So I think additional instruction for free on that, you know, and a lot of there's a lot of resources available to folks. But I think a simple way to run a business, uh, you know, is traction, is EOS to get to get started out of the gate. Um, there's just so many companies that even if they get funding, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to create and iterate, but they don't know what they're iterating on or what direction they're driving. So if you have an endpoint, I just think that companies will be a lot more successful, a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Specifically in the ecosystem, <laughs> I don't, you know, I just saw there's been a couple of press releases recently about what the state's going to do in the entrepreneurism scene. And it goes back to the business as usual, given to, you know, KSTC and, you know, going to the University of Louisville Research Foundation, giving them a couple hundred thousand dollars a year although they have $850 million in assets, um, you know, they, that that's what they're doing right now. And University of Kentucky as well. So, okay, I get it. And then LEAP is being changed and taken over by another entity and their state's going to fund that, but they're only doing healthcare startups. Okay, so, you know, that's a pretty limited niche of, of for investment dollars in Kentucky, it's a pretty big percentage of that. You know, it's 40 to 50%, but that's a pretty limited niche. It's not, there's a lot of other technology out there. So, what do I think we need? I think we just need to all lean in and help um, creating an ecosystem the best we can to support people with with assets, with with knowledge, whether it's legal knowledge or startup knowledge or, or marketing knowledge in a coordinated fashion, which Awesome Inc. has done a great job of doing in Lexington. But I think we failed decently. And well, it's a work in progress in Louisville and it's a work in progress for the entire state. So I tip my hat to you guys for realizing that tri- golden triangle there and, and starting to get some traction in what we can do. But I think giving knowledge and spreading knowledge the best we can of how to operate in Kentucky is very, very important and being there for each other. I mean, that's the problem we're trying to solve is free content on people who have done this and then, you know, getting, getting their advice and their learnings so that our audience can apply that. Um, but yeah, a lot of what you were saying there really resonates with me. Just, um, you know, something we've said since early on, you mentioned that Awesome Inc. is doing their thing and they're doing it well here in Lexington and um, kind of how we're going after this golden triangle. You know, it's it's when the tide comes in, all ships rise. We don't want to just focus only on Lexington. We want to focus on Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, like the, this entire area of the country because ultimately we're all here in the same country. And if we can, you know, improve one area, then it's ripple effects. So that's kind of how, how we look at it as well. So, but thank you for, for addressing that and giving those. Um, but talk about some stuff that we're doing well, because there are a lot of things Kentucky is doing well right now. So hit on a, a few of those here as we wrap up. Man, that's a great question because there's just so much right now for businesses that's just up in the air. Um, there's a yeah, lot of animosity, uh, you know, so like what is good? Um, you know, what is, you know, we talk about this, what is Kentucky's competitive advantage, uh, competitive advantage? And it's, it's the nature, it's, it's the earth, it's the horses, it's, it's, those types of things that really give us a competitive advantage. Um, <clears throat> what is Kentucky doing? When you say it's the earth, it's, you know, the, the horses, are you, are you like, is that a culture? Are you making a cultural remark there? Or are you making a remark that this is a great place to work because, you know, we have these great places you can go and enjoy nature and de- decompress. I would say as from a capital perspective, we have good natural resources and we have good logistics. We're in a good location as well. That's true. Got it. So those are some of the quote unquote competitive, like what is Kentucky truly competitive in? You know, we have a lot of long-term health uh, startups that went down to, a lot of them went down to Nashville and they have blown up since then. What do you guys think Kentucky's doing good? I haven't asked enough questions of you guys. Like what are oh, some yeah. of the things maybe you can inform me what you guys think they're doing well? Well, I think one of the things we hit on that we talk about a lot and that we hear a lot is that people are just so, so willing to help here. And that kind of goes back to 
what you mentioned about humility and being willing to ask, you know, any, anytime we need advice about something, I know Evan takes advantage of this a lot as he's starting his company, but in general, anytime we want to talk to somebody about what they're doing in this area, it's just very open. Um, people are always willing to share their experiences and share their stories. Um, and I think everyone does want to help. Um, and wants to pitch in, we kind of have that, that culture here in Kentucky and, um, in Lexington and Louisville. It's just finding the most effective way to do that. Uh, the most effective way to deploy resources. And, you know, you mentioned these things like leap and, um, KSTC and, and all these other different entities. Um, I think they're, you know, I have to assume that they're doing their best and they're doing what they think is right. And just finding the way to deploy this capital in the right way and, um, make the changes that could ultimately propel, propel this state forward. Uh, that's not a job that I would, I would want to be doing, but you know, I think our leaders are, are doing what they can right now. And, um, I think that just everyone wants to be helping. It's just sometimes we don't. Yeah. Exactly I'd help. say I, I agree with like the, the, everybody wants to help because everybody I think is, is realizing that we're in the early, early stages of, mm-hmm. you know, becoming a great startup and technology ecosystem. So you got to give before you, you know, get right. So you, everybody realizes that they've got to really give to the community before there's really any kind of major quick, uh, improvements or, or scaling. Um, and then one thing that I, I, I enjoy about Kentucky is, you know, I've had the luxury of, of traveling to major cities and, and spending a lot of time in New York and living in Los Angeles. And there's the, there's a pace of life about Kentucky that is really refreshing as an entrepreneur. You're not getting pressures from, uh, the culture of what you might have in, in a Los Angeles or, a, or San Francisco where, you know, you, you get the extreme pressure of you need to raise money, maybe even before you have a product or you need to hire, uh, you know, we're going to measure your company uh, uh, success on how many employees you have um, and, and this and that. And, you know, there's a lot of pressures that come along with a big market. And here in Kentucky, uh, because one, I think, you know, you hit on it earlier and it's kind of a weird thing to say, but the nature here, uh, the ability to see greenery and just get out of a city and just drive and just think to yourself and hike and things like that. Like that's important, you know, um, that, that plays into that, that feeling, but, um, just a cultural pace of life is, is nice. Um, because, you know, you don't necessarily need to live in a New York or a Los Angeles to have that hustler attitude. But, you know, I think you need to live in a place like Kentucky to get out of it, to, to kind of escape it. Um, and I love that about Kentucky. Um, and so that's what I've noticed, Nico, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on Kentucky? Yeah, I mean, um, I I have to agree. I've, I've uh, you know, I also grew up in Western Kentucky, Brandon, um, and I have to say, like one of the one of the best things that I enjoyed about you know my childhood there was um, the nature. You know, being near land between the lakes, being near Kentucky Lake, uh, being able to go out and decompress. You know, after long weeks of school and whatnot. Uh, and even still, you know, here in Louisville, going out to Bernheim and, and Jefferson Memorial Forest and all these places locally, uh, just just being able to decompress, you know, especially like now with with the working from home and and um, and, uh, you know, the shelter in place stuff, it's getting I'd say it's getting harder and harder to kind of distinguish your work life from your personal life. Right. Um, they've almost kind of converged, I'd say, for a lot of people over the course of the last few months. So. Um, I'm definitely thankful that we're in a place, um, where you can go out and, you know, you can decompress, you don't have to be cooped up, um, at home all the time. You know, I'm 10 minutes away from, from, uh, these Memorial forests. I'm five minutes away from the Ohio, from Falls of the Ohio State Park. Uh, very thankful for that. I'm sure, you know, a lot of startup founders in New York city or in San Francisco right now can't really say the same, um. But yeah, it's, it's one of the things I'm very thankful for. Yeah, for sure. All right. So kind of as, as we end this here, uh, Brandon, if you just kind of want to give us your, your vision for the Johnson law group, what you guys are are hoping to accomplish in this area, um, kind of take us and and sign us off with that. Yeah, man. I want to just say that willingness to help in Kentucky is a hundred percent a great part of that. There's a lot of people that are willing to help. And my example of this is on July 15th tax day. I had a sophisticated 83B election issue and I had to make a decision. And I called, uh, I got MCM. That's very, you know, he's very busy guy on tax day and he called me back. I called two or three other attorneys. They called me back. One guy called me back on vacation from Florida. His, I called his partner. And, incredible, right? My heart was like grew three sizes. I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> I had a very, 
very, but, but people were willing to help. Um, what I'm trying to do is to help as many entrepreneurs as possible and, and try to take those job creation companies, those entrepreneurs, the small companies, that's where a lot of the job creation is and help those support those people. So where they don't have issues that they get them sidetracked two years down the road because they didn't take care of it on the front end. So when you don't take care of things up front, it costs more later. But, you know, hopefully you have money then to, to worry about those issues. But if you can avoid those by being prepared up front, that's uh, that's what I'm here to do. Um, to coach, to mentor, to help, to, to be the attorney for and whatever I can do to help the ecosystem and, and entrepreneurs is what I'm here to do.